It's always great uh, and a great joy to be with you and to be able to bring God's Word. And it's a great joy to be uh, your pastor to UTEP through the ministry of RUF. Uh, We just uh, brought a group of students back from our first ever West Conference, which is RUF's winter conference out in the West, and we were in San Diego. Had a really good group of students that came. Really great preaching that was happening. Um, Seminars on the Trinity, on uh, resurrection, on apologetics, on anxiety and Christianity, all these things, and it was a really, really wonderful time. A lot of fun, too. Um, So thank you for enabling us to be able to do this ministry. Um, And it's a great joy for me to be able to bring God's Word this morning. It's a great joy that all of us can can, uh, see baptism and come to the Lord's table this morning. And we get to to come and read and hear God's Word. These are are so ordinary things, um, but this is how God works in our lives to grow our faith. And so it's just great. Um, I'm thankful that I can come and, and preach this morning. So our passage this morning comes from John chapter 6, verses 14 through 21. And also, we're going to, um, if, you, if you have a Bible with you, you could also ha- uh, have Psalm 77 and Psalm 107 with you as well. But primarily, we will be here in John chapter 6. So John chapter 6, verses 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and they got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would use these ordinary uh, word, because we know it is more than just ordinary. It is the word that comes from your mouth, that you would work it into our hearts this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I was about six years old, um, we were at Panahachel on Lake Amatitlan, and we were getting in this little dinghy boat with one of these outboard motors, and we went across this lake, and this is one of the deepest lakes in, uh, in the Americas. It's really deep and it's choppy waves and we're in this little dinghy boat and we go out to this other town on the other side of the lake called Santo Domingo and uh, we, we do some touristy stuff there. And On our way back, we're halfway through the lake and uh, the little outboard motor starts to sputter and stops and uh, we're just bobbing along there in this tiny little boat up and down, up and down and I'm starting thinking, Oh my goodness, is this ever going to end? Are we going to die out here in this lake? And I was sure that there was some deep water squid that was going to get me. I mean, those aren't in fresh water, but as a six-year-old, I was absolutely sure that it was going to come and get me. And After a while, this uh, other little boat came. It was already full of people. And they're like, oh, just get in. So 
So we got in this boat, and now it was just like barely bobbling above the water, and uh, it was going so slow. And I just, all I could think was, is this store, is this rough water ever going to end? Are we ever going to make it to the, to the other side? Is it going to end? I think maybe the, the, the disciples were thinking, as they're going in this rough storm, is this going to end? And maybe even asking, where are you, Jesus, in this time? You notice in this passage, they, they bring out some, some uh, particular things that John brings out about the darkness and the roughness of the seas. Verse 16 to 18, it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and they started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. So it's getting dark and Jesus hadn't come to them so they don't know where He is. And it says now as it's dark and they can't see, the sea has become rough and a strong wind is blowing. It's dark and it's blowing um, and it's probably pretty terrifying. You may know about Sir Ernest Shackleton. He was one of the Antarctic explorers in the early 1900s and there were a lot of Antarctic explorers around this period. Um, And his story is pretty famous because his voyage ended at the very tip of Antarctica, right in the bottom of the Weddell Sea. And their boat gets caught in this ice pack. And the ice breaks their boat apart. And they have to spend an entire winter of deep darkness, months of howling uh, wind and darkness where there's no sun whatsoever. And other groups have uh, had 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 this happen before. Um, And what has interesting is that oftentimes when these uh, voyagers get st- got stuck in Antarctica over the winter, people would be go mad and crazy because of the darkness, the unrelenting darkness and the brute power of nature and the chaos of the storms. See, darkness and rough seas are, are historic realities. They're, they're real things that we know. And, and even in this passage, they're historic reality, but they're employed for a theological point as well. Out of the moral, chaotic darkness and the, the chaos that is in the world. Because John, when he writes, he often loves to use the thing called the double entendre, which is the, the double meaning of a, of a word. And so John, in, in chapter 3, he says, people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Or later in in Revelation, he says about the the sea passing away and being no more. Why? Because the sea represented chaos and destruction and disorder, all these things. And so, in a way, yes, this is a, a, a real historical event that these men are going through. But it's also about moral darkness and the chaos in the world that drowns the disciples. In uh, Elie Wiesel's book, The Night, uh, book, the Night um, which you might have read if, uh, in high school, it's this book that he writes about his uh, time as a Holocaust, um, in, in, in the Holocaust in, uh, in, in Nazi Germany. And he's talking, he's writing about his experience. And he says, Never shall I forget that night the first night in the camp which had turned my life into one long night. Seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget those moments when my soul was murdered and turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget those nights even if I am condemned to live as God Himself. Never. 
See, when moral darkness and the uncontrollable chaos prevail against us, life seems as though it is just one long, dark, stormy night. And this is something that the Psalms know very well. At our conference, uh, they preached from Psalm 88, which is the darkest psalm in the Bible. And he says, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. The darkness and the chaos of the storm and the waves. And in the darkness, when we experience it like these disciples are, we are asking oftentimes, Where are you, God? Where are you, Lord? This is something that the Psalms know very well. Psalm 77 it describes this anxious question. Saying, in the night, in Psalm 77, in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. You hold my eyelids open, God. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. The night of darkness of depression and anxiety. Scott Sauls was a pastor. He's a pastor and he wrote about a season in his own life when there was a period of several weeks when he was so anxious and so depressed and he couldn't get any sleep at all. And in the evenings, he was overwhelmed by the anxiety of facing another dark night. Unable to focus because of the darkness and the inner turmoil, all he could say was, Lord, help me. And many of us have been there before. And the psalmist in Psalm 77 says the same thing. He asks, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? Where are you, Lord God, in the dark and in the night and in the chaos? I believe for many of us this question can be what St. Augustine called faith-seeking understanding. Our question, where are you, God, in the night, should be one of trusting Him and trying to understand more. It's a question of faith. From faith. William Cooper was a poet. Um, and he wrote a number of hymns as well. And he, one that I love, he says, God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His works in vain. God is His own interpreter and He he will make it plain. You know this is interesting because the story behind this poem is that it it says that this, this poem that Cooper wrote was possibly the last poem that he ever wrote before falling into a deep, deep depression and anxiety that he could not ever fully recover from. And that puts... Meaning to his words, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will one day make it plain. These moments and these times in our life are a call to trust the Lord even in the darkness, even in the chaos around us. And it's okay to ask God, where are you when we feel alone? 
Because at this moment in the disciples' lives and in their following of, of God, I'm pretty sure that they are wondering where Jesus is when they're out in the darkness. And Christian, I want you to understand this. You may feel alone at times, but you are not alone. You and I may not be experiencing God's presence in your life at the moment, but that does not mean that He is absent from you. He is not. Because although the disciples, they don't know where Jesus is right now, He knows exactly where they are. He sees them from the mountain. See, all the other synoptic Gospels, they record that Jesus is on the mountain and He sees them. I love the way the children's catechism puts it. Our kids are going through it right now and and the question is simply this. Can you see God? Can you see God? And the answer is no. I cannot see God, but He always sees me. See, in the darkness and in the uncontrollable chaos that you may feel alone, but you are not alone because Jesus sees you and He is interceding for His own people from the mountain. So we are not alone. One of the questions I don't know that you may have, but I have when I read this and I first read this was, think about it, why did the disciples leave in the boat in the evening time without Jesus there? I mean, wasn't that kind of a foolish thing to do for them to go on the sea at night without him? I mean, this is their, their boss, and this is their, like, their chief, and they're like, why would you leave him? <laughs> Especially at nighttime. Uh, I think oftentimes we may think, you see, the reason that you're experiencing chaos or you're experiencing moral darkness all around you is because you, went, you were a fool and you went on without Jesus. And Maybe that might be true in your life. Maybe you've left behind Jesus. Maybe you've left behind His church. And He's allowed you to experience the effects of sin. Maybe. But you know, that's not the disciples' case here. And it's very well not, may not be your case too. See, the other accounts of this event recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they make the point to say that Jesus made the disciples to get into the boat and go before Him to the other side. Matthew 14.22 You see, sometimes, sometimes it is the very fact of listening to Jesus that brings us into the storms of life. Sometimes following Him puts us in places where there's going to be darkness around us and there's chaos. So how can it be then that in the darkness and the chaos, we are not actually alone, even though we oftentimes feel so alone? Well, the answer lies in what the disciples are going to learn about who Jesus is from this sign that He is about to do. And so here's the sign in verse 19. They're rowing, and it says, When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. So what's going on here? So they have this hard row across the rough sea and they look over and they see Jesus walking across the water. So first notice, Jesus, their friend, the carpenter from Nazareth, is walking to them on the water. And then second, 
they see this and they are terrified. They're frightened about it. Um, in the other Gospels, it says that they, they see him and in a, they think that maybe he's, he's a ghost or a phantom or something. But John is not pointing that out. He's pointing out that they see Jesus walking and they're frightened because what they're saying is that this is a theophany. John is pointing out that the, what the disciples are experiencing here is a theophany. A theophany in the Bible is an appearance of God to a person usually to deliver a message. And you know what's always the reaction of people when they, experience, uh, when they encounter God, particularly in the Old Testament? It's fear. When, they, when, you, when there are the theophanies with Moses and Joshua, it's fear. And so they experience fear because they are encountering the one who is God. See, they see Jesus walking on the rough seas in the dark of night and he comes and he gets in their boat. What's he showing them? That he's God. This isn't immediately obvious uh, to us, maybe. Uh, in college, I had a friend who was from Southeast Asia and he didn't know anything about Christianity, know nothing about Jesus. And I was telling him about this particular story, this event when Jesus walks on the water and he said to me, wow, that's really incredible. He must have been some powerful magician or wonder worker or shaman. And I said, well, it's not exactly like that. You see, the meaning of what Jesus is showing the disciples by walking in the water is based upon these Old Testament poetic passages, particularly the Psalms. Psalm 77, which I just quoted to you in Psalm 107. In Psalm 77, it says this, When the waters saw you, O God, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Or Psalm 107, verses 26 and 29, Their ships mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths, and their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken sailors and were at their wit's end, like the disciples. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress, and He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who does that? It's God. Or one more passage, Job chapter 9. And Job says, How can man be right in the right before God? Because He alone, God, stretches out the heaven, and God treads on the waves of the sea. You see, according to the Bible, the only one who has authority over the chaos of the sea is God. And yet Jesus here is walking on the water. And in context, you see verses 14 and 15, which I read earlier, we see that the people here want to make Jesus this prophet king to rule over Israel. But the fact is, they don't even understand the, the fraction of what his kingship is like. Because this son of a carpenter, this one who works with wood for a living, is the king of authority over all of creation. That Jesus is the Lord God alone who plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm as man. And that's some crazy orthodoxy right there. But it's crazy and it's true. And in case they missed this, what he's doing, um, in, in case they missed what he was showing them, he actually goes on and he tells them. 
who he is from this sign. So the disciples, they see Jesus doing what only God can do, and they're terrified by it. So he walks up to the boat and he says, I wonder how he says it, but he says, it is I, do not be afraid. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, there's this song that I really, really like um, that I listen to particularly when I go to the gym and I need to, to be a little bit more encouraged and excited. And it's called Soy Yo by Bomba Estéreo. And I love them a lot. And they have this music video with this song, Soy Yo. And um, in this music video, there's this little girl. She's got glasses and braids and she's walking through the Bronx and she's, you know, owning the streets. And, you know, she, all the bullies try to bully her and she just kind of puts them to the side and uh, she sings this song, Soy Yo, and this is how it goes, and I'll translate it. But the song says, Y no te preocupes, no te preocupes si no te aprueban. Cuando te critiquen, tú solo di, Soy yo, 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 yo. Soy yo, relaja, re, relaja. That's how it goes. It's great. But in English, this is how it goes. And don't worry if they don't approve of you. When they critique you, you just say, I'm me, I'm, I'm, I'm me, relax. I mean, is this what Jesus is saying? I'm not going to let this dark storm criticize me, I'm me. No, he's not saying that. Nor is he just coming up to the guys and saying, don't worry, it's me, relax. He's not saying that. It's a lot more than that. And the English translation doesn't quite have the same impact as, for example, the Greek or the Reina Valera. Sometimes you just need to read something in the Reina Valera, right? And in the Reina Valera it says, Él les dijo, yo soy, no temáis. Which is saying, I am. Do not fear. I think you understand the impact of I am. This is the Greek, it's the ego eimi, which is going back to the same construction of the Greek Old Testament in Exodus 3, when God speaks to Moses in the burning bush and says, I am who I am. So Jesus here is saying to the disciples, do not be afraid. It is. I am who I am. He claims the eternal, unchanging name of God as His own. And so later in John, when He says, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He is using the divine name of God for Himself. And this is one of those passages where we see subtly and also not so subtly the point that Jesus is the one true God along with the Father and the Spirit. And so what? So who cares? Why is this important? Being at the end of, of John, chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, he helps why, explain why this sign is important, why it's important for us to know these things. He says there were many other signs that Jesus did, but these particular signs, this one we're talking about, was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. You see, for one, believing that Jesus is the Christ, our Savior, entails recognizing that He is God. But also, this belief in Jesus as God is meant to give us life in Him right now. So what does life in the God-man, life in Christ Jesus look like for us here and now? The application 
is that we do not fear. He says, I am. Do not be afraid. See, knowing Jesus to be God is to calm our fears. Jesus says, I am. Do not be afraid. So to know that he is God brings us the life of peace in his name. And the irony about this in this passage is that Jesus revealing himself to his disciples absolutely terrifies them. But it is also the revealing of himself to them that calms their fears. And so it is with us. You see, the more that you and I know Jesus, the more we know his righteous power, the more in a way it is terrifying and we realize how how far we fall short. But equally we recognize the more grace and peace he brings us. That he is the one who brings peace because he has claiming the divine name for himself. And so the benediction that we often hear from numbers can be said of Jesus himself where we say, the Lord Jesus bless you and keep you. The Lord Jesus make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord Jesus lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And yet we recognize that peace is hard to come by. You know, do not fear is the most uh, repeated command in the Bible. And I think probably part of it is just because we have spiritual amnesia And peace is so difficult to find. So we need to remind ourselves, how does the Lord Jesus calm our fears and give us peace? How does the God in flesh give us peace? I think it's here that we see that He actually really truly does keep His people. The Lord bless you and keep you. He, Jesus, keeps His people to the end. In the text it says this in verse 20 and 21, Jesus said to them, I am. Do not be afraid. Then they were so glad to take Him into the boat. And the strange thing that says here in the text, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. There's a point there. And the point is this, That Jesus gets His disciples to their destination safe and secure, and He can do it because He is God. You see, this is a historical narrative, and this other miracle is happening, perhaps. The storm is calmed, and they quickly get to the land. But this narrative echoes back to Psalm 107. Verses 29 and 30 says this, The Lord made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed, and then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Or Psalm 77, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see, the God who walks on the great waters will lead his people to safety. He will do it. Immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. You see, this is what Jesus does. And that is why we do not need to be afraid because He sees us to our eternal shores. I remember I was having a stressful and anxious day and was just ruining my day and and Matheson said to me, Jeff, consider how much God has done for you. All the ways that He has prospered you and He's taken care of you. all, All the ways that 
he's done these things, and most of all, how he has given you his son. Trust him. I mean, she said, trust him. Do you think he's going to abandon you right now? And I looked back at her and was like, um, basically, yes, that's what I'm saying that I'm thinking. But the truth is, in Philippians 1.6, that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ. See, the God who starts a good work in you is the same one who will complete it. And he won't leave you. He will not leave you and me to make a shipwreck of our faith. One of the great things that I love about being an RUF minister is that I get to pass people, pastor people at a significant time in their life. And of course, every student is concerned about school and grades and finding a job. And, but when we get deeper, we find that they're hurting and we're all hurting about things, whether it's anxiety or, or not being significant or concerned about all these things or whether it's substance abuse, or sinful addictive behaviors, or even attempted suicide, or even the fear of demonic oppression, or just the fear of loneliness and the fear of spending the rest of your days by yourself. We all have these fears that we cannot change our course and that we're going to make a shipwreck of our life and of our faith. That we're going to sink down deep into the depths of shame and of hell. But the good news is that Jesus is God who rules over all nature. He is the King of creation and He tramples upon the chaos and the darkness and the evil. He trampled upon the world. He trampled upon the flesh and He trampled upon the prince of darkness Himself. He trampled upon it when He got up up from the grave. So is Jesus able to break our sinful addictive habit? that have a hold on us? Is He able to shine hope where there's only death and darkness? Is He able to cast away the demons? Is He able to uphold our faith until the end to get us to our safe shores? Absolutely. Do not fear. Because He is the one true God who rides upon the storm and upholds our faith with the Father. For He later says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me, He is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. You see, He gets us to our safe destination because He is God who trampled upon the darkness and the chaos and the evil. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we recognize who you are, that it would sink into our hearts and that we would have life in your name. That we'd have the life of peace beyond our circumstances. The life of peace knowing that you will Keep us and hold us all the days of our life and that you will bring us safely to the Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.